Well, I am so thankful that we have Gary Bates, uh, who is originally from Australia and the CEO of Creation Ministries International. I know some of you uh, we were able to see uh, updates from their ministry and, and ended up traveling here to come and be encouraged by this brother's ministry. For those of you who are familiar with that website, there's so many good resources, resources in addition to the ones that we've seen in the back, uh, books and things and DVDs. Um, what a blessing this ministry is to local churches like ours. Uh, we're thankful for Gary and his faithfulness over the years, um, serving churches, serving Christians, giving answers, and, and really pulling together many other uh, experts in the field, other believers that hold to these things, that hold to these truths, who are, who are PhDs and study these things. They collaborate together. We're so thankful for their ministry. Gary has been married to Francis for over 40 years. Um, he is on the editorial team um, for Creation Magazine, um, which has uh, over uh, have subscribers in over 110 countries, and I know you'll have an opportunity to subscribe to that as well. It's a great publication. He's also the producer of CMI's award-winning documentary, Evolution's Achilles Heel, uh, a great resource to, uh, to look at as well. Gary is author uh, or co-author of eight books on creation versus evolution in that debate, and he's best known for a book, we were discussing this last night, uh, titled Alien Intrusion, UFOs, and the Evolution Connection. Now, if that title doesn't get you uh, interesting, uh, interested, I don't know what else will. It's on the back table, uh, and, and it's been on actually uh, the creation book uh, bestseller on Amazon, top 50 uh, in the past, so it's a well-known book. You're, you're interested in that. You'll be able to pick that up. Um, and uh, it has since been made into a major motion picture that has been shown in theaters worldwide. Very, very interesting and, and, and cool. A great resource for us to look at. Gary um, was also awarded an honorary doctorate uh, in creation science from Whitfield Theological Seminary for his specialty in, as a specialist in research in this area. So, so uh, Dr. Gary Bates, it's a blessing for him to be here with us and for those of you who missed the Sunday School talk, I really encourage you to go back and watch it because it was such a blessing. Um, we're looking forward to this one as well. We're looking forward to it so that we can give answers for the hope and the reason that is in our hearts, as First Peter 3.15 says, and it says this, uh, in the word of God, but in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. This is a brother who's here to give us reasons and answers. Even in between services, willing to talk to little children, my kids, asking questions about these things as well. We get a great opportunity here to hear from him again. Let's welcome him as he comes and speaks and shares with us these truths. That's better. So now you can all hear my deep southern accent because <laughs> I'm from Atlanta, right? <laughs> okay. So a uh, little bit about CMI, who we are. We like to call ourselves an information ministry. We have, uh, as I said in the last talk, more information today 
I think that at any time in the church's history on this creation evolution debate, and it's growing all the time. Uh, we have seven offices around the world. I think, to the best of my knowledge, that we probably employ more scientists and PhDs than any Christian ministry in the world. And the reason I mention that, boys and girls, is our scientists, they got their degrees in the very same universities as their evolution-believing counterparts. So that should tell us the science, as you're going to see, is not the real issue. And so we do come to churches to inform you and let you know that this information is available because you're not going to hear it in the secular media, on the TV, or in the schools. And what type of information? You know, Pastor mentioned about being prepared. Well, let me ask you a question. Don't worry, I'm not going to pick anybody out so you can trust the Aussie this time. But, you know, maybe you're here because you've had questions. Or you go to work, or you're at school and you try to talk about the Lord Jesus... And people come back to you with questions like this. Yeah, but if the Bible's true, and we all started with Adam and Eve, who did Cain marry? Ever had that one? Or if we all started with Adam and Eve, then what about all the different races? You know, as people think there are races, where do they come from? What about dinosaurs? I did, dealt with that in the last talk. It's one of the most asked questions. But I think the, the number one question we get as Christians about the nature of God and a challenge to our Christian faith is this one. If God is a God of love, why does he allow all the bad things in the world? Why is there death and suffering? Ever had questions like that? Well, just indulge me. If you've ever received or had questions like that, just pop your hands in the air and show me. Now, just keep them up nice and high. So I want to do something. Turn around and have a look. So that was well over 90% of you raised your hands. And I only asked you four questions. But the reality is, you see, ladies and gentlemen, people have dozens of questions in this area and those questions are intellectual stumbling blocks to them believing in the truth claims of the Bible. So that's what we do. We produce information to help you answer those questions. One of the great sources of information is our website. Our ministry's been in operation over 40 years. So essentially, there's about 40 years' worth of creation information on that site. There's a little box on the right. There's a search engine. You can type in your questions there. And here's the web address. Really difficult web address to remember, creation.com. So, for example, you know, I'm only here this morning, but you might see on the National Geographic channel, you know, they'll hold up a fossil and they say, look, here is evidence that apes evolved, or humans evolved from ape-like creatures two million years ago. And there it is. There's the fossil. And what do you do? Well, you go to creation.com. Within a few days, we'll usually have a response or an article on that. On creation.com, there are over 15,000 articles, videos, media, and it's all free. So 40 years' worth, as I said, of creation information. I'm going to do a couple of things in the service to connect you to save time because it's always a rush at the book tables at the back. We have a, a free newsletter called InfoBytes. And let me give an example of how you can use it. Do you remember this man, the crocodile hunter, Steve Irwin? So his zoo was just a couple of hours north of where I lived in, in Brisbane, Australia. And when he was killed by that stingray, lots of people contacted us, and, our, and our Christians and non-Christians, and they said, well, if God's a God of love, why did he design stingrays that kill people? How would you answer that? See how that's a stumbling block to someone looking at nature that is red in tooth and claw like the poet Tennyson said? So one of our scientists, Dr. David Catchpool, he wrote an article. You can see the link there at the bottom, The Stingray of Death. 
We send out this email to people like you on our electronic mailing list. You read it. You equip yourselves and your family. But guess what? In this digital age, you click forward. You send it to a friend, a colleague, your grandson, your granddaughter, and evangelism, which ultimately starts at home. And the reason I use that one, because in 10 days, that became the most visited article then, back then, on our website. So you see, something in the news is a great opportunity, not only to equip yourselves, but to use that information for evangelism. So in a moment, Courtney and Angel are going to pass around some sign-up sheets, and if you want to get our free email news, you just need your name, your email address, and your zip code, because we can always let you know when there's something happening in your area. And when they do, if you could pass them along, everybody, and pass them a row back, and when it gets to the end, hold them up nice and high until they've picked them back up off you, please. Thanks, ladies, if you would do that. And I'll get on with the major talk. So this is really kind of creation 101. Why is this subject important? And I said in the last talk, it's not really about science. It's a worldview issue, worldview. Our beliefs play such an important part in If you could look at the screen, please. Notice those two trees there. One of them on the left, it's called humanism. Now, what does humanism mean? Well, humanism simply means man decides truth for himself. The belief that man is the ultimate authority in this world. Now, every belief system has a foundation. Notice the origin there, what what that tree is planted in? Evolution. Evolution, ladies and gentlemen, is a concept there is no creator that everything came into being via a Big Bang 14 or 13.7 billion years ago when a particle appeared and exploded and basically became everything. Now, if somebody subscribes to that worldview, what type of fruit do you think they might produce? Hence why I've made them trees. Well, look at some of the problems facing the church today. Racism, gay marriage, euthanasia, abortion. But I submit to you, ladies and gentlemen, they're not the problems. They are the fruit of or the symptom of a foundational underlying problem, which is humanism, which has its roots in evolution. Now contrast that to the tree on the right there, the tree of Christianity. So somebody tell me, everything you and I need to know about the Christian faith, the nature of God, our fallen state, our need for salvation, where do we get that information from? Where do we get it from? The Bible, God's Word. And if you believe that God's Word is authoritative authoritative and He's the Creator, right, well, what, what type of fruit should we produce? Okay, we'll love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We'll believe in the sanctity of life. Abortion is wrong. Why? Because we are made in the image of God. What about loving one's neighbor? Who's your neighbor? Is there such a thing as races? Well, if the Bible's correct, every human being on this planet, regardless of their skin shade, we've all got the same skin color, come from Adam and Eve. That's what the Bible's always said. In the book of Acts, from one man he made all nations of men. Guess what? Science has caught up. We're in the genetics revolution. And do you know, ladies and gentlemen, if you took every single human being on this planet genetically, We are 99.9% genetically alike. The genetic differences amongst humans are less than 0.1% of our entire genome. That's the library on our DNA. So yes, it's quite feasible that all humans are descended 
from an original human couple. So why do most people believe in evolution? And this might seem a bit cliched, but it's because that's all we're ever taught. I stand before you as a former evolutionist, like most of my scientific colleagues in the ministry. And here's the point, ladies and gentlemen, it's not perhaps or maybe your children and your grandchildren are going to be taught evolution in the classroom tomorrow. They will be taught evolution as a scientific fact. They will. That's the standard curriculum today. So knowing that in advance, shouldn't we be doing something? Shouldn't we be doing something now? That's why I said evangelism starts at home. If we know they're going to be bombarded with this anti-God, non-Christian idea that displaces God from his rightful throne as creator. You see, I said I was a former evolutionist. I became a Christian and I still try to add millions of years to the Bible. And, you know, you find this all the time when you try to talk to people about creation. Well, it's not important. And, you know, we can't really know what happened back there. And there might be many ways to interpret it. Well, let's look at this. <laughs> if you look at the screen here, okay, the book of Genesis is referenced over 100 times in the New Testament. In fact, Genesis 1 to 11, so that's specifically creation, the fall, the flood, the Tower of Babel, there are 60 references in the New Testament. In fact, what we understand, Daniel and I were talking about this last night, what you and I call our, our doctrine, our church doctrine, comes from the first 11 chapters of Genesis. That's where it has its foundation. That's why the New Testament authors referred to it. Do you know that every Genesis 1 of 11 chapter is referenced in the New Testament? Right? Every author references Genesis 1 of 11. And Jesus himself referenced Genesis 1 of 11, a real Adam and Eve, a real flood in Noah's time on 16 occasions. Wow, they thought it was important. Okay? So therefore, Jesus believed Genesis. I, I submit to you, so should we. So you've all seen pictures like this. This is called that, I've caricatured it here, that evolutionary tree of life, that you and I were just basically evolved pond scum, according to evolution. Makes you feel kind of special, doesn't it? Millions of years of death and struggle, survival of the fittest, and it leads to your average civilized human being there uh, at the top. Well, let me ask you, is that a tree of life? Because evolution, it's all about death. Death is the saviour. Death gets rid of the weak and the unfit. And ultimately, human beings were supposedly the pinnacle of this evolutionary process. The Bible has a very different history of how death came into the world. If death is normal, how do we recognise sin? You know, when we look out, ladies and gentlemen, we, we see bad things happening. Our loved ones die of cancers and, and viruses, etc., it should be a reminder to us that something is wrong. But evolution says, no, it's all perfectly normal. Death is absolutely normal. Get used to it, basically. You see, what I've done there, I, I showed you the foundation of that humanistic or that non-Christian worldview. And what is a worldview? Well, a worldview is like a set of glasses, a filter here. I pictured here like a telescope. That all of us, even our children, once they reach the age of understanding, you know they've already developed a worldview for themselves. And the non-Christian worldview says death, suffering, disease, bloodshed, that's been with us for millions of years. You look out, you see bad things happening. As I said, it's all perfectly normal. But what is a worldview? I know you've heard that word a lot. 
But let me distill it down for you. I like to use those three big questions everyone talks about. And we talk about them in the church and outside. And you'll recognize them when I go through them. Okay, the first one, of course, of the three big questions is, where did we come from? Second, why are we here? What's our meaning and purpose to life? The third one, what happens to us when we die? Would it be fair to say anybody who can even think has had to consider those three questions at some stage in their life? That's why they're called the three big questions. So let's go through these two scenarios using these three questions. If evolution is true, tell me, is there any meaning and purpose to life? No, we're just a giant cosmic accident. What about life after death? Any life after death in that scenario? No, they burn you up, put you in the ground, that's it. But if God is creator, you and I were created with meaning and purpose, weren't we? And the decisions we make in this life, well, that's going to affect where we spend eternity. But I want to show you something here. In both scenarios, the answers to questions two and three will always be determined by what you think about question one. Question one is the foundational question to answer the basis of everybody's meaning and purpose to life and what they think happens to them when they die. You're starting to see that now? The creation-evolution issue is foundational to the way people are going to, uh, what they believe and how they're going to act. And I have to show you some bad news, okay, before I give you the good news. I'm going to put up the results of a poll or a survey by a Christian research organization called Barna Research. Some of you may have heard of them. I know Pastor will have heard of them. And they did a survey cross-denominationally of Christian teens in the church. So these are young men and women sitting in our pews and in our chairs in churches across America. And it was a confidential survey so they could give their answers honestly without fear of repercussions. And this is, what they, this is the results of the survey that only one in three of them intended to continue attending church after they left home. So they were sitting in our Christian families and they were basically saying, when I'm older, I'm gone. The disconnect had already taken place between what they see out there in the real world and church on Sunday morning. That you know, I've interviewed hundreds and hundreds of students and I'll show you that in a moment, but... They basically say, no, it's just something you do on Sundays to make you feel good. has no basis in reality. So remember I said, if we know that, we should be doing something about it. And I speak in around about 50 to 60 churches a year. In the U.S. alone, myself and my speakers, we speak in over 300 churches in the U.S. And every one of them will tell you, every church we go to, we meet people who say, that's my son and daughter. That's my grandchild, my grandchild. So I've got a, you know, 50 minutes this morning to convince you this is an issue, ladies and gentlemen, we all need to take very seriously. Well, let's lighten it up a little bit. Here's some students, and one says to the other, you seem a bit down. That science class of yours went for ages. What happened? Well, teacher said, we're nothing special. We came from pond scum. We are just evolved apes. So she says, what are they teaching in your next class? And she says, self-esteem. <laughs> Many a true words spoken in jest, right? So what are we going to do about the science? When you hear the word science, I wonder what most of us think about. Because when it comes to the past, I suggest to you it's not the same kind of science that you commonly think about. See, when we're dealing with the past, right, we're dealing with events that you and I were not there to see. 
Both creation and evolution are forms of what we would call historical science. These events occurred in history. Compare that to operational science or the experimental method. Let's have a closer look at it. See, operational science deals with experiments you can do in the present. You can repeat them. You can observe the results and test it. So today, if I wanted to do an experiment to test the boiling point of water, I could do it today, tomorrow. I'll keep getting the same results, right? It'll boil at a 212 Fahrenheit or 100 degrees Celsius in the proper language. And when I boil it, I notice this gas escapes, steam. And then I develop a hypothesis, an idea. If I capture that steam and I get a wheel and I get some copper wires, suddenly you're building upon your former experiments and that's how technology gets better. Okay? We can develop electricity. But what about the idea that dinosaurs evolved into birds 65 million years ago or apes evolved into humans 2 million years ago? Did anybody see that? Can you repeat it? Can you test it? No. So don't, when you hear the word evolution and science in the same sentence, (laughs) really, it shouldn't be so. And by the way, can I just caveat? Don't say, well, evolution is just a theory because that's a misunderstanding of what's called a scientific theory. For example, you could call it the theory of gravity. But just watch. Did you observe it? I'm going to test it. I'm going to repeat it. So a, a scientific theory actually should have that experimental support. What I'm suggesting to you, ladies and gentlemen, is evolution is less than a scientific theory. That's why you shouldn't say evolution is just a theory. So I remember uh, discussing this in a church some years ago, and this young man came up to me at the end. He'd been brought along by, uh, by the Christians. He was a non-believer, and I never forgot it because he literally ran down the aisle with his finger pointing at me. He was very angry, and he said, you creationists, he said, you talk about operational science, and then he says, you ignore examples of it. And I said, what do you mean? He said, fossils. Fossils always come up. And I said, so what's your problem? He said, well, fossils take millions of years to slowly form. Therefore, your very idea of operational science throws the idea of what he called a young earth out of the water. I call it the biblical age of the earth, right, rather than young earth. So I showed him this picture here. And have a look here. This is a fossilized ichthyosaur. And this is an extinct marine reptile. But what's really neat about it, have a look. There's the baby coming out of the birth canal. Now, he was challenging me because he believes we can observe the slow processes that turn uh, creatures like this into fossils, and it takes long, long periods of time. But, you know, my my dear wife, uh, we have four adult children, and when she was uh, in labor, we lived in a very rural part of Australia, and she got into trouble. She was in labor, listen, mum, for over 37 hours. They flew her on an air ambulance up into a city and later then she gave birth. But if you think 37 hours is a long time, how'd you like to be giving birth slowly over millions of years while you were slowly being fossilized, right? So again, instinctively, when you see that, you understand something rapid and catastrophic happened to that ichthyosaur in the process of giving birth. But I'm going to show you pictures here, okay? Now, these are being shown at elementary age now in this country. This is from my grade 11 science books uh, in Australia. There's three sections. Notice the fish swimming on the left-hand side. He dies and he sinks to the ocean floor. Now, look at the high mountains in the middle. 
Look what's happened on the right there. They've disappeared. Boys and girls, that's called uniformitarianism. The present is the key to the past. If they observe slow erosional processes today, they assume that it's been occurring like that for millions of years in Earth's history. But notice, the first mistake this made is that said that fish died and sank to the ocean floor. Anybody been snorkeling and scuba diving? Do you notice the thousands of dead fish on the ocean floor waiting to be fossilized? What do you think happens to a fish when it dies out in the wild? Does it sink? No, it floats. Thank you. you. You're all doubting me. Go home tonight with your goldfish bowl and put in a teaspoon of Drano or something and you'll find out quickly that fish float when they die. <laughs> so again, in the real world, what's going to happen? That fish is going to float. Yes, it will sink to the bottom eventually, but it's going to get devoured by crabs and other crustaceans. You're lucky if you've got a piece of backbone left after a couple of days. But notice what they're saying. While that fish is lying on the ocean floor, look, the mountains are eroding. The river's carrying little bits of sediment out over millions and millions of years, burying the fish, and then the process starts again. And that's how you get that geologic column we see in our textbooks. So how do you get a fossil like that? Well, here's old Freddie Fish swimming along. You're going to need a lot of mud and a lot of water in a short amount of time You can bury the fish quickly in those layers, and before long, you can get yourself a rapid fossil. Now, you're probably thinking, well, hang on, Gary, when that guy challenged you, he said it was the process of permineralization, where the organic material is slowly replaced and turned to stone. That's what takes millions of years. Well, does it? Do you remember I showed you in the last talk a fossil hat? Here's another one. This was a soft felt miner's hat buried in a volcanic explosion in New Zealand. And 20 years after the initial eruption, okay, they found the cabin and this hat along with other artifacts were buried and had turned to pieces of solid rock. I suppose you could say it evolved into a hard hat or something like that, right? But here's the point. Ladies and gentlemen, you just need the right set of conditions, the right cementing conditions to get a rapid fossil. Here's another one from my home state of Western Australia. See the solid rock ring? Exposed in the sand at low tide, the owner of a trailer park. He shipped it down to us. I was living in Perth, the state capital. What do you think it was? Anyone want to have a guess? What do you think? A wheel? No. Lots of people think it's a tyre, but check this out. It was a roll of fossilized fencing wire. And can you see the individual strands on the end there? He remember when workers were going through refencing the property about 50 years before, thinking that, you know, they throw the rolls in the ocean, thinking they would decay. You just need the right set of conditions to get a rapid fossil. Here's another one from our Creation magazine. By the way, notice my subliminal advertising uh, up in the corner. That's where all this stuff comes from. I got it all from Creation Magazine. It's where we first featured it. So, again, it's a magazine where you, an equipping tool where you get the other side of the story. But see that? They found a rock on the beach. There it is, a picture of it on the ground. They kicked it over and got a surprise because inside the rock was a toy car. So, fossils can form quickly under the right conditions. Rocks can form quickly under the right conditions. Yet, ladies and gentlemen, it's the rock layers with the fossils in them, the geologic column, that is cited as evidence for millions of years of Earth's history 
and the evolution of organic um, you know, uh, creatures uh, on, on the earth over that period of time. Were they there in the past to see it laid down? Of course not. Remember I said in the first talk, evolutionists, creationists, we've got the same facts. We've got the same rocks, the same fossils to look at. But our interpretations of that data and what happened to it in the past depend upon the set of glasses we're wearing. You've already made your mind whether evolution or creation is true before you ever start looking for those types of things. Now, very important. I know most of you here probably don't believe in evolution, but you probably have problems with you know, the alleged age of the earth. Really, thousands of years, Gary, when we're told the earth is 4.5 billions of years old and evolution's been occurring for hundreds of millions of years. So this is very important because most people don't know where the idea of millions of years comes from. So this is going to help you. And I'm going to use the Grand Canyon as an example because we're all familiar with it. Now, in the canyon wall there, can you see those bands of rock strata? The strata are those wide bands, light, dark, little in between. In the strata, you'll find things called sedimentary layers. And sometimes they're like one or two millimetres thick. And the idea is that water has washed in sediments or particles or wind has blown them in and they settle and one layer is a year. So they think the Grand Canyon is 500 million years old because there's probably about 500 million sedimentary layers there. They think they're looking at millions of years of Earth's history. And of course, you've all heard the story that the Colorado River wound its way through the canyon and eroded it over 20 million years, something like that. Okay? And they go, look, there's the river, there's a big canyon, it must have happened. Well, if you've ever been around creation material very much, you know we love to use these events at Mount St. Helens in 1980 here in the United States, in Washington State. Ladies and gentlemen, this, what I'm about to show you, turned me from an old earth creationist, or evolutionist, I should say, into a Bible-believing creationist. They knew Mount St. Helens was going to erupt. You can see how it was venting at the top. There were many earthquakes going on. They evacuated the area as best they can. And when it did explode, look, it didn't blow its top. It blew its side. One third of the volcano erupted and it blew lumps of rock as big as a city block over six miles from the blast site. But ladies and gentlemen, this is just a baby when we consider some of the geologic events that must have happened in Earth's history. And in the aftermath of the initial eruption, it laid down bands of strata, just like we see at the Grand Canyon. You can see those three separate bands with the lady at the bottom for scale? Well, that middle section there is what we're interested in. It's full of those sedimentary layers, those thin layers. And the conventional way we've been taught to interpret them is one per year. So in that 21-foot band of sediment, did it take thousands of years? No, look, it was laid down on 12 June 1980 in just three hours as a result of the catastrophic events of Mount St. Helens. And there's the dates for the other two, look. May 18th for May and 1982, a huge mud flow. Just the right set of conditions again. right? And when you go back to Mount St. Helens today, there are canyons all over the place. I don't know if you can see on the screen, there's a little river running through there. It's called the North Fork of the Toodle River, running through Engineers Canyon. And why do they call it Engineers Canyon? Because Army Corps engineers were called in to divert water from nearby Spirit Lake that had overfilled from the volcanic eruption. 
and they diverted water into this area and they, dive, they basically carved out that canyon in just a period of around about eight months. Interesting, huh? And don't think the material was soft and kind of just flushed away. The floor of the canyon is solid basalt that is hard volcanic rock. And you can see what are called striations, that is the scouring of the rock where it's been eroded by fast-flowing mud and water. So you see, it wasn't a little bit of water, a little bit of sediment over a long period of time. A lot of water, a lot of sediment over a short amount of time can do an incredible amount of geologic work. And up on the screen in that left-hand corner of the picture, you can see a little side canyon branching off. That's called Little Grand Canyon. It's a 140th scale of the Grand Canyon. Have a look. See that? I wish I could tell you that one took a few months to carve out, but actually that was formed in less than 24 hours by a giant mud flow. See? Catastrophic processes can create the geology that we're told apparently took millions of years. You go back to Mount St. Helens, here's another interesting thing. The canyon was carved out and now there's a river running through it. (laughs) It's the other way around. The river didn't create the canyon. The canyon created a path for the river. See, it's back to front. And these are events we've witnessed. Tell me, who was alive today who saw the Grand Canyon form? Nobody. We interpret that according to our belief system about the past. But look, and Mount St. Helens is not the only event where we've seen geology form catastrophically. Here's this picture of the geologic column. And those boxes on the left, you know, you've got the Jurassic and the Cretaceous. They are eras of time. Okay? And then on the right are supposed to be the organisms buried in those layers as a record of evolution on the earth during that time. So let's put this together, ladies and gentlemen. If most of that geology represented on the left-hand side was possibly formed by what? Noah's flood. Anybody know how long Noah's flood lasted? No, I mentioned it in the last talk. The flood waters were on the earth for 12 months. I want you to think about what's happening. The whole earth covered with water. The moon is still there. Backwards, forwards, tides, reshaping the land, layering sediments all across the new continents because the original supercontinent broke apart, right? Um, not continental drift, continental sprint. So they say there's millions of years of Earth's history, but most of this geology, if it was laid down by Noah's flood, it lasted 12 months. Where did the millions of years just go? It's not there. And here's the kicker. If there's no millions of years, ladies and gentlemen, there's no time for evolution to happen. Ah, now you know why creationists are dogmatic about the age of the Earth. And we get the age from the Bible. Clearly, go to the New Testament. You can trace Jesus in the book of uh, Luke there. You can trace Jesus' ancestry and Matthew all the way back. You'll see David. You'll see Solomon all the way back to Adam. And Jesus clearly says they were there at the beginning of creation, not after some evolutionary process of millions of years. I mentioned the Creation magazine, a heads up at the end. We're going to pass the clipboards again to give you an opportunity to get that. And I just want to make a point. 
with all of these resources, and I'm going to mention a few more in this talk because I, I wasn't able to do it in the last one when we, we had the problem with the computer, but I'm not here to sell you a bunch of books. That's not how our ministry is funded, all right? We are faith-funded just by ordinary mums and dads like yourself who donate their $20 or their $50 a month to enable us to produce materials to come out to churches and bring the information to you. The magazine, there is no advertising in it. Every page is dedicated to equipping you, and then I hope as you read it, and then guess what? Go and leave it on the lunch table at work or in the office where others can pick it up. And we get more testimonies from the magazine because people do that than any other single resource. And here you are in a small town on a small community. And can you imagine? Remember we asked those four questions at the beginning? That's what, that's what your neighbours are asking. What a difference. You might not have the answers, but you've just got to put a, a book or a magazine in front of them. And it does the work of an evangelist for you, ladies and gentlemen. So... I want to talk about these six days of creation because this is the thorny one. We get most challenged by Christians who try to add millions of years or deep time to the Bible somewhere. Um, when I first became a Christian, I thought I was clever when I found Second Peter 3.8 with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years. But then you read on, it says a thousand years are like a day. So, I mean, what is that saying? In fact, it's not talking about creation, is it? It would be using a passage out of context it's actually talking about the patience of God, that he's not willing that any should perish. Some of you, my vintage and a bit older, uh, you may have been taught by pastors about the gap theory. This came from the Schofield Study Bible that did the rounds in our seminaries um, the end of the last century. And if you're not familiar with it, I'll explain, because a lot of people have been brought up on gap theory don't know the full complexity of it. But we start in Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Now, between that and verse 2, they try to insert a gap of deep time, the millions and billions of years. Now, why did they do that? So listen carefully. They did that. Our theologians did that because they became convinced that the geologic column, all those rock layers, must be evidence of millions of years on the earth. But then they had a problem because what's in those rock layers? Dead things fossils. But the Genesis flood couldn't account for it here because that's not till chapter 6. So they came up with something called Lucifer's flood, right? In this pre-Adamic world, Lucifer fell and God judged the world with a global flood, killed all the creatures alive at that particular time. That's what a lot of people don't know about gap theory. But let me ask you, can anybody give me chapter and verse where I'd find Lucifer's flood mentioned in scripture anywhere? Anybody? No, it's not in there. That's known, by the way, as eisegesis. That's where you add to the biblical text. What you study in this church, your pastor follows the exegetical approach or the hermeneutical principle, which is to test Scripture with Scripture. So let's do that. We go to Exodus 20.11, and it says, For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth. There's verse 1.1 of Genesis. No period, no gap, the sea and all that is in them, and then rested on the seventh day. So it's clearly saying the entirety of God's creation was in those six uh, 24-hour days. And how do I know the 24-hour days? Because I don't know if you realize, I've just read from a very, very significant passage of Scripture. It's actually one of the Ten Commandments. And what does it say about those commandments, ladies and gentlemen? They're inscribed 
by the finger of God in tablets of stone, right up there with thou shalt not murder and thou shalt not steal. And we don't have a problem with those other commandments, do we? But the six days of creation are there as a lasting historical memorial to the fact God created in six and rested for one. By the way, where does a seven-day week come from? I mean, I mentioned about before, a day as the earth rotates with a light source. Months are determined by our lunar cycle. A year, earth rotates around the sun. Seven-day week, no astronomical reason for it. It comes from Scripture. That's where it comes from, ladies and gentlemen. That's why we operate a seven-day week. There are all these different views. Let me just cover them because you know, everywhere I go, somebody holds to one or two. Some people say could never have been a local flood. We don't see global floods today. could never have happened in the past. Well, clearly the language in the Bible talks about a flood, the mountains that were there, which we wouldn't think were very high, but were covered. But think about this. Noah took somewhere between 70 years, maybe to 100 years, to build this massive ship. Remember the dimensions, 462 feet long? Why did he take all that time and go to all that trouble to create a massive ship to escape a local flood? He could have packed a suitcase and walked off to another country in that time, couldn't he? Why were birds on the ark if the flood was local? Do you remember Noah kept releasing a dove? Couldn't find dry land, couldn't find dry land until ultimately it did. Clearly the context is global. Theistic evolution... This is the idea that God used evolution. There are ministries in this country, so you've got to be careful. One of them called Biologos, headed by Francis Collins, former head of the Human Genome Project. They say Adam and Eve were never real people. God lit the fuse of a big bang, kind of took his hands off the real. It's interesting, you know, when all the New Testament authors and Jesus mentioned a real Adam and Eve, you know what their answer is? They were wrong. I submit to you, that's not Christianity. So that's why you have to be careful. The gap theory I mentioned, let me um, go back. The framework hypothesis, if any of you are off to theological college, just be careful because this is one of the most popular views today. The Genesis is not real history, but a kind of a poetic framework of truth so we can understand the nature of God and our need for salvation. Um, The day-age theory, this is the one I subscribe to, that the days in Genesis refer to long periods of time, might be millions or billions of years for each day. And again, just as a heads up, even be careful when someone calls themselves a creationist today. There's a ministry called Reasons to Believe, Dr. Hugh Ross, very influential in our seminaries. We call them progressive creationists. They say the word day in English, which in Hebrew is yom, they say it can mean an indefinite period of time, therefore it could mean millions of years. Well, the word day can mean different things. But I'm going to show you it's a bit of a bait and switch to say that's what it means in Genesis because the understanding or the meaning of words always comes from the context we use them in. So that sounds difficult. Let me give you an easy example. So if I said to you, um, it took me three days to fly from Brisbane, Australia to Kansas City, Missouri Airport, how many 24-hour days did I just speak about? Not a trick question. Three. In fact, you didn't even have to think about it because when I put a number in front of the word day, that's called an ordinal, I've just defined the context for you. You know I'm talking about 24-hour days. And if I said to you, hey, great to be here with you this morning, this evening I'm going to be speaking in another church, you know the context there, morning and evening, I'm talking about this day, a 24-hour day. 
So let me change the context on you. If I said to you something like this, I'd like to tell you a story about something that happened back in my father's day. What period of time am I talking about? Have I defined it for you? No. So see how you can change it? Okay, so what is the context in Genesis? Let's take a look. Starting in verse 5, God called the light day, darkness he called night. There was evening, there was morning, there was one day. And it goes on. There was evening and morning, there was a second day. There was evening and morning, there's a third day. Are you starting to see a pattern here? Evening, morning, fourth day. Am I starting to annoy you yet? Evening, morning, fifth day. Evening, morning, six days. Goodness. Three definers of the context mentioned six times over. I submit to you, if God wanted to describe them as 24-hour days, I mean, how else would he have done it? (laughs) You know, what's the problem? We just sang a song about God being creator. Stars like the sand. When he said to Abraham, like the sand on the seashore. He could have done it in six seconds, ladies and gentlemen. Six days? Yeah, because that's our working week. You know what this is really about? Did God really say? (laughs) And where have I heard that before? You know, when you look at the Hebrew word yom, day, in the Old Testament, outside of Genesis 1, look at this. Day and number, 410 times. Evening and morning without the word day. Evening and morning with the word day. 523 times it appears with some definer of the context and nobody ever questions any one of those as anything but a 24-hour day. It's only in Genesis it gets questioned. Why? Well, scientists have shown the earth to be billions of years old. No, no, no. They basically just interpret geology incorrectly. Remember the second Peter passage I read in the dinosaur talk? They deliberately forget that by long ago, <laughs> the earth existed out of water and by water, and by those same waters, the world was deluged and destroyed. The flood is the great time cruncher, ladies and gentlemen. That's why it's so important. But here, there's a theological issue if you try to add millions of years in evolution to the Bible. Remember at the end of day six, God saw it was... Previous days it was good, good, good. Day six it was very good. The Hebrew term for very good is tov miod, which means finished, perfection, completion. It's done. I mean, if God makes something and he said he's finished, it's obviously perfect. Do you remember the geologic column? That's supposed to be a record on the earth, ladies and gentlemen, of death, disease and suffering over millions of years. So would Adam and Eve, who clearly only lived thousands of years ago, have been stood on a fossil graveyard beneath them and God looks down and says, yes, that's all very good. See the theological problem? Is death good? No, the Bible clearly states it's an enemy to be destroyed. And here's one of those New Testament passages. Therefore, as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, in this way death came to all men because all sinned goes back to Genesis. You see, and let me just make a point here. Even if you don't believe in evolution, listen carefully. If you don't believe in evolution, but if you try to add millions of years to the Bible, the millions of years comes from the rock layers. The rock layers have fossils in them. That's death. Do you know what we've just done? We've put death before the fall of Adam just by adding millions of years to Scripture. There's the theological problem. And by the way, let me just mention gap theory. Lucifer's supposed to be roaming 
right? In a pre-Adamic world between Genesis 1.1 and Genesis 1.2, Satan is a created being. He was made by God. End of day six, all that he had made was very good. Satan could not have fallen before day six of creation. The Bible answers itself on that particular question. I know a lot of us have been taught gap theory. So let's sum up. Evolution, remember I said, death is the saviour. They say it's a good thing, but the Bible says it was our actions that brought death into the world. See, that's the gospel. There was this perfect world, God's world. He made it. We messed it up. And even though we messed up God's perfect world, he sends a rescue mission from heaven to pay the penalty of death that was due you and I. And people want to know if God is a God of love. Hmm. See, it's not really understandable unless you go back to explain where the problem came from in the beginning. We got, ladies and gentlemen, essentially what we didn't deserve. You know what that's called? Grace, thank you. Unmerited favor. (laughs) Wow, isn't that incredible? Sin was so serious. But here's where the rubber meets the road. If Genesis is not real literal history with a literal very good creation and a literal Adam and Eve, and if sin did not literally enter the world through their actions, and ladies and gentlemen, then you and I literally don't need to be saved from anything. That's it. It's because of what happened in history that we need to be saved. And look at this. How do you understand the new heavens and earth, your eschatology or your end times? Revelation 21, God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. There shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things have passed away. And in the midst, talking about the new Jerusalem, there's the tree of life again. Did you realize that? And there shall be no more curse. What curse is the very last chapter in the whole Bible referring to? It's referring back to Genesis chapter 3, what went wrong in the beginning, the undoing of all of that. And if you, wanna, if you believe in evolution and you want to add millions of years of death and suffering to the way God originally did it, is he going to use millions of years of death and suffering and then to create the new heavens and earth? I mean, I don't even think it takes six days. When I read it, it says, and behold, I saw a new heavens and earth. Boom. How can he do that? Because he's the creator. <laughs> he's the creator. So I mentioned to you before about some of those terrible statistics. So have a look at this. Southern Baptists, their own surveys. 88% of their young ones are leaving the church. Lifeway, Assemblies of God, Barna Research, every denomination, ladies and gentlemen. Let me be frank with you. If that's the case, are we potentially today talking about a large percentage of somebody else's kids? So what happens is I noticed when I came to the US and I'm going into churches, there tends to be a mindset that it's somebody else's kids. So I took a film crew and I went on to college campuses around Atlanta, right? The Bible Belt. And I asked four questions of the students as they walked past. I stood outside of a science block. And the first question as the students walked past, I said, were you raised in the church or not? And if they said no, I let them move on. I only wanted these kids who said they were raised in Christian homes. And then the second question I answered, creation or evolution, which is true? And out of the hundreds of students I surveyed across college campuses in Atlanta, only five said they still believed in biblical creation. The rest said they now believed in evolution. So the next question, 
right, I asked them, was when you were at home, church, did anybody, your pastors, parents, leaders, anybody show you the wealth of information we have to show that biblical creation might be true? And every single student who said they were raised in a Christian home but now believed in evolution, every single one said they were never shown any information. The five children, five students that said they still believed, every one of them had been shown information. And then the last question was, do you still attend church? And all those students who now believed in evolution, except for one young man, and we put him in the video to show we were not stacking the deck, no longer attended church. What you believe about where you came from will determine your worldview. Once they became to believe that evolution was true, then the Bible became irrelevant, ladies and gentlemen. So the documentary I made was called Fallout. I'll talk more about that in a moment. Let me uh, just finish here with Dr. Mike Adams. He's a conservative commentator. We don't get into politics, but I do like what he says because it's relevant for us. He said, if Christianity dies in America, it will not be for a lack of evidence of its truthfulness. It will be for a lack of dissemination of the evidence for its truthfulness. Dissemination is the spreading. We got more information, as I said today, than at any time in the church's history. When I first started in creation, there were six books available. And that on the table there, that's just a fraction. We bring out what we regard as the key resources for you to have a look at. You know, let me just say something, and I normally don't say this at the end of my talk, but we're, we're living at a pretty precarious time in our country. By the way, I became an American four weeks ago, so there you go. So, and I think, I'm going to just be frank with you, we've got distracted as a church. <laughs> Not saying politics isn't important or, or all these other isms that are out there, but what is the most important thing we should be doing as a Christian? Look at what Jesus said in the New Testament. He said, what is the greatest thing when his disciples asked him to do? It was to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. And what did he say next? What are we taking with us to heaven, ladies and gentlemen? We're not taking our political parties or our favorite presidents or our Sony Playstations or our nice cars. The only thing we're taking to heaven with us are the people we lead to Christ. I was the first Christian in my family. I think it's safe to my adult years. First Christian. And I saw my mum saved, my dad saved, my sister saved. Both my dad and my sister died of cancer. But they're in heaven as a result. The grace of God. So I want to encourage you today, not to guilt you. Let me encourage you by this. Because every time I travel somewhere, I sit on a plane about every two weeks, I order my Diet Coke, and somebody hears my accent. They where are you from? From Australia, I live in Atlanta. What do you do? CEO of Creation Ministries International. I remember one guy said to me, my very first trip to the US, my very first internal flight, he said, are you one of those awful young earth creationists? Found out he was a laser scientist for the US government. I said, why did you say that? Guess what? What about dinosaurs? What about fossils? (laughs) It was a five-hour flight, so I said to him, do you have a minute? (laughs) And I got down my laptop. But you can do it too. There's the website. If somebody asks you a question, you say, you know what, I I don't know, but I'll find out. Type it into the search engine. 
15,000 plus articles. And we have a full-time information officer because we get hundreds of questions every week and they get sent out through a ticketing system to our specialists and our scientists around the world. I want to mention the magazine. As I said, there's no advertising and I don't want you to think of it as a magazine. Think of it as an equipping tool for you and your families. There's a children's section in it. Okay, it comes out four times a year. I didn't mention radiometric dating, so here's an example. Here's a rock. We knew the age of the rock from the volcanic explosion was 50 years. When the rock solidifies, there's no more radioactive material going in and the decay clock starts. We sent that rock off to a radiometric dating lab and the 50-year-old rock came back with an age of 1.35 million years. Now, why? Now, the science of measuring the radioactive particles is real science. I don't want you today to go away to be anti-science. No. Science is wonderful. It develops modern medicines and vaccines and, and technology. But when we're dealing with the past, that's where interpretations are made, all right? So don't think today. We love science as a ministry. Look at this. When people mention fossils to you, this is a fossilised teddy bear. I've actually got one of these. They hang them in a cave in Yorkshire, England, and the minerals trickle down, the water trickles down, laden with minerals, and they become permineralized in just a few months. Now, unless you think teddy bears were there millions of years ago, isn't that good evidence to show that fossils can form quickly? Information changes lives. It changed mine. This young man wrote to us some years ago, and he said, uh, your work, CMI, was very important for me, becoming a faithful believer in the Bible. I'm an atheist, convinced of evolution until a year ago, and I started to listen to those crazy young earth believers trying to disprove them, and here I am now, praise the Lord. Remember what we're taught 24-7 in the secular realm. And I love this one. My first trip back to Australia, I always remember this because this young man came up to me and he just said, Mr. Bates, I just want to thank you, and he started to break down and cry. So I said, look, send me your testimony. It'll encourage others. And this is what he wrote. He said, thank you for your ministry. As a child, a family friend um, bought me a subscription to Creation Magazine. He said, I attended public schools where evolution is taught, but the information provided to me through your magazine, he says, um, my faith was never shaken by evolution. I'm now a Sunday school teacher, and my favorite topic is showing God's glory through creation. I attribute your magazine, a magazine, go figure, as a major contributor to the strength of my faith and my love of science. And because it's a periodical, it arrives every quarter and you keep up to date with all the latest discoveries that we're finding uh, out there, etc. So the magazine, uh, as I said, full colour, children's section, no advertising in it. That's why hand on heart I can promote it to you in church today. So in a moment, the ladies are going to pass around these sign-up sheets. For one year, it's $29, okay? And for two years, it's 50 It's cheaper. Now, what happens, we only do this on ministry, so it's an incentive for you to get it. We have a digital version. So when you sign up today, you get the print version and you get to take the current copy with you, current issue, instead of waiting till it's posted. But we're going to give you the digital version for free. That's normally $19 a year. And the reason we do that is while you're excited today and you get the digital version, we want you to reach others with it. Click forward, friends, family, colleagues, and give them the Creation Magazine electronically. Okay? Another method of evangelism. If you sign up for two years today, you get 
print version, you get the digital version, and I'm going to give you two free DVDs. I think I want you to have the magazine. Okay. So, uh, we go. The first, first DVD is a documentary we made to uh, commemorate and take advantage of what's called Darwin's, Darwin's Double Anniversary. It was 150 years since the publication of On the Origin of Species in 2009 was the double centenary of his birth, and we retraced his voyage of the Beagle. We went down to the Galapagos and South America, and we interview evolutionists and people on, on the research station in the Galapagos, and we asked the question, if Darwin knew today what we know about science, particularly in the area of biology and genetics, would he have even been an evolutionist? How well do you think it actually stacks up today? So that appeared on, uh, on um, TV stations around the world, and remember that survey I did on college campuses around Atlanta? It's called Fallout. I'm going to give you a copy of that one as well. So you can hear the students say it in their own words. And you know what? Later on in the documentary, all those kids that now believe in evolution, I asked them a question. What makes you think evolution is true? What was your favorite evidence to make you think evolution is true? And you know what the number one answer was? Over 90% of all the answers, the geologic column, the fossils, the rocks, the fossils, the rocks. And yet, ladies and gentlemen, that is the easiest thing for us to answer as Bible-believing creationists. Because if there was a global flood, what would you think the evidence would be? Thousands of feet of sedimentary layers all over the world with dead things in them. Start digging in your backyard far enough down, you're going to find sedimentary layers with dead things in them. It's all over the world. But see, they just interpret the data differently. Those poor kids were led astray by saying that's millions of years of Earth's history instead of evidence for Noah's flood upon the Earth. So, very important resource to have. So, one year, free magazine, you get the current issue of the magazine and the digital, two years, you get that, plus these two DVDs. Thank you, ladies. If you do the same, sign up, tear off your coupon, and take that to the ladies at the back. Don't forget to put your email address so we can send you the digital version, and we'll give you those free DVDs today as well. And while they're going around, let me just mention a couple of other resources so you know where to start. The Answers book. Every Christian home should have a copy because it deals with the 60 most asked questions on creation, evolution, the book of Genesis, all right? And it comes with a free study guide. We don't charge for our study guides. Go to our website and most of our books have study guides. Refuting evolution is what is currently taught in the US, US high school curriculum. And so Dr. Jonathan Safford, he deals with that point by point and that is the largest selling creation book of all time. Okay, and you get a DVD, so you get three resources for the price of two. Geology. Geology is the culprit for millions of years, ladies and gentlemen. So this is a fairly new book called Biblical Geology 101. Put the right set of glasses. Next time you drive through a road cutting, have a look at all the layers on the side. You'll start noticing, ah, sedimentary layers, Noah's flood, right? And for children and adults, because it's a kid's book in disguise, exploring geology with Mr. Hibb, There are hands-on exercises, definitions. The cartoons are not dumbed down. They're actually there. They're descriptive to help us understand what's being said in the text. A key resource. Your kids will love doing that book, I promise you. And there's a companion dinosaur book as well. There is one of these left, this children's pack. 
There's one there called One Big Family, which I co-wrote with my wife, which is a children's version on where did the races come from, okay? Now, if uh, the stuff I've said to you is old hat and you want something in-depth, I call this the Rolls-Royce of creation books. It's called the Genesis Account. It's a theological, scientific, and historical commentary on Genesis 1 to 11, being used in seminaries today, but it's actually just something you can read and get through yourself. A couple more while those are going around. Um, Based on that book, we did a 12-part DVD series. So I'm not sure whether you have Bible study classes or whatever, but the reason we did this Genesis 1 of 11 series as presentations, they're no longer than 40 minutes in length. You can do them at home with your family. But group one gets the first DVD, and then you move to group two and three. So you can keep circulating the DVDs. And again, free study guide online for you to, to work through it. We've had credible reviews about that one. Some of my resources, this has been called by others the most powerful talk they've often heard on the actual gospel. Why does a good God allow bad things? It's being used in prison ministry here in the States. Um, I co-wrote a book called The Creation Survival Guide, How to Graduate with Your Faith Intact. Churches have bought hundreds of copies of these to give to their youth, parents. It basically, when you get to college, this is what you're going to face. This is just a heads up. Go to college, but be prepared and know how to work through the issues. Another booklet I co-wrote is called How Did We Get Our Bible? We believe the Bible is inspired, preserved, but how did we select the books we have today as people think? And have a look at this in the back, inside back cover. I did up a chart, and this shows you the 2,800 cross-references in the 66 books of the Bible. Look at them. They're a blur all referring to each other, different authors over vast periods of time showing you the unity of Scripture. And lastly, my book there, Alien Intrusion, which was mentioned before. Uh, it's the only, book, only creation book to be an Amazon top 50 bestseller. We don't say that to boast, but more non-Christians have read it than Christians. And guess what? It's all about Jesus. What do we see in the sky? Are there such things as aliens? No, there are not, despite the huge size of the universe. God creating intelligent aliens out there violates the gospel. That's a challenge to some of you. But Adam's curse afflicted the universe. The universe is going to be destroyed and God's going to make a new heavens and earth. So aliens who are not descendants of Adam can't be saved. And guess what? If they can't be saved, they're not going to be in the new heavens and earth. They get destroyed through no fault of their own. They're affected by Adam's sin. And there's the movie version. And in the movie version, you will hear the testimonies of people who believed that they were being abducted by aliens and they called out on the name of Jesus Christ in their moment of terror and their abduction events stopped instantly. And I can tell you that was pretty challenging for me because I come from a pretty conservative Christian background and we don't dwell in those circles. But there is a spiritual reality all around us, ladies and gentlemen. It's real. And people who don't know Christ, never been to a church, have been afflicted. And here's one for you. Um, I left the office, uh, my last day was Friday. I flew up here yesterday. But what arrived on Thursday in the office is my brand new book. And this is called Aussie Pops, Oddities and Oddballs from Down Under. You've all heard of koalas and kangaroos, but have you heard of quokkas, cassowaries, bilbies, puggles, all with incredible unique design features. Australia is a country like no other. It's in uh, rhyming verse. 
but it all shows unique uh, features, particularly the marsupials. Let me give you an example. Kangaroos. I used to play golf, and they used to just lie around on the golf course. The little joeys would hop out of the pouch. But you heard of wombats, right? They're marsupials. They have a pouch too, but their pouch faces backwards. The opening is at the rear. They love digging underground. They have these huge burrows underground. So why do you think their pouch faces to the rear? So it doesn't fill up with dirt when they dig. Boom. What a, what a simple design. And it works really, really well. So it doesn't smother their little joeys uh, with dirt. So that's out there. And I'll leave you with this last one, which Pastor Daniel mentioned already. Are you ready? Church, are you ready to change your community for Christ? You can do it just by giving resources away and inputting. And I just want to finish with this and remind you, it's not your job to save people. It's not my job to save people. I can't save anybody, can you? But we are called. The Bible does want us to to be a faithful witness. Hopefully you feel a little bit more prepared today. And by the way, if um, you're the first church in the world to have that today, how about that? All right, God bless. Thank you. Well, here at First Baptist Church, when we hear the word taught and truths brought forward, uh, we're not interested in just listening to things and forgetting it moments later. We want to hear the word as James tells us, and we want to respond. In 2020, I preached a series in Genesis 1 to 11 titled Creation, Fall, and Consequences, a series to push forward a biblical worldview for our People, a worldview that Gary just put forward so well with reasons and arguments and, and ways to be confident. I hope all of us are more confident in God's word and in the truth today after hearing a message by that. Has anyone's faith been strengthened a little bit today? Let's take that faith, strengthen faith, and do something about it. Get resources. Present them to our children. Present them to our neighbors. Let's give answers. Let's give answers that we heard so well. These are all going to be available to watch online if you want to be able to catch other stuff and take notes. I've got multiple pages of notes here. There's so many ways that we could respond to God's word and to biblical truth. I just encourage all of us to do this for the rest of our service here. We're going to be taking communion.